You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 890 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you live on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's episode is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring, launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th. You can preview it now exclusively at BlueNile.com. Today's podcast will feature an interview that I did with Ben Ladner. It's actually part one of two in which Ben and I talked on today's show about the Eastern Conference, how it all shakes out from the bottom to the top, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll start with John Collins and the news or lack of news, I suppose, from Monday. Um, As we talked about several times in the last weeks and months, quite frankly, the deadline for extensions on rookie scale contracts was Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And when when the deadline passed, there was no deal for John Collins and the Atlanta Hawks. I will say at the top, this is not a huge surprise to me. Um, it would not have been a huge surprise if they did the deal either, so I'm not saying otherwise. But um, this is always up in the air. There was not an assumption for me that it was going to get done at any point. I know it's been discussed uh, for a long time. I'm not someone who's been banking on that necessarily happening all the way through. And I will just say, this this happens sometimes. One side was higher than the other. Uh, Collins reportedly and seemingly wanted a, a near-max contract, and the Hawks seemingly did not want to go that high. Um, that's not. There's nothing wrong with that. It does not mean that he'll be gone necessarily, and uh, obviously the takeaways that I will just lay out for you now, if you've been listening to the podcast for quite some time, this will be repetitive, but my apologies, he will now be a free, a free agent regardless. There is no extension path from this point forward in season, so with this deadline going past, Collins will hit the market on some level at the end of the season. There's no other mechanism in place. Even if he's traded, for instance, um, he, will, he will be a free agent with whatever team that he signs with, uh, sorry, whatever team that he's traded to. I should say. Um, If he's not traded, he'll still be a member of the Hawks to the end of the season, and then he'll be a free agent. Now, he'll be restricted, at least in the uh, pathway that I'm uh, foreseeing. It would be a shock to everyone if he's not restricted, and there is some financial specifics that are going to be coming later on in the podcast, and I'll lay out some more context for what's transpiring here. But I do want to play you some audio, actually, from Monday. Collins was interviewed about three and a half hours before the deadline, so there was still some mystery there as part of the Hawks' post-practice media availability on Zoom on Monday. I'm going to play some questions. They're actually all from Chris Kirscher at The Athletic, so kudos to him for asking and following up and pressing John a little bit on the way that he was uh, feeling about this in advance of the deadline, but I wanted to include the questions for full context. So here is the first snippet. It's actually going to be two questions and two answers. This is what John was asked and answered on Monday. Um, there's obviously only a few hours left to get a new contract done. How are you feeling about the situation? Uh, I thought you forgot, man. <laughs> no, I don't no um, I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling as good as I can coming off of a practice day. Um, trying to keep my spirits high. Obviously, anything can happen, but I'm, you know, comfortable in my position and just ready to do whatever I need to do. Um, how would you feel if you went into the season without a new deal? I know you were looking forward to getting something done. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely would be a little disappointed, but business is business. You know, sometimes you don't get exactly what you want or, you know, things don't happen uh, the way you plan. Um, but I was planning on playing all of these games, these 72 games that uh, were coming up this year anyway. So that's, that's just going to be the plan is to just lock in on those and make sure uh, as the season's over, I have the best ability to do whatever in that case. So that kind of sets the tone for how he was feeling, but here's the uh, other part. This is not a direct follow-up. It's a little bit later in the availability, but here is the other thing that I wanted to play for you on Collins and extension talks and how he would feel if the deadline passed without a deal, which obviously ended up happening. Um, from what you've gathered from Sean, do you feel like you, your side and the Hawks' side are, are close to agreeing to a deal? Uh, I'm not really too, you know, going to get into that. Um, but, you know, from what I've said or from what I've heard and, you know, been around, um, I feel like we're in good spirits and I feel like everything is is, is looking positive. Uh, but, you know, I can't give a guarantee or, or I, I don't know if that's my place to say. Do you feel like you're wanted from the Hawks' side of things? Um, I mean, of course. Uh, you know, I feel like from, from the top to bottom, the, the guys show me they wanted me, the coaching staff. Um, 
but obviously there's uh there's one more step for clarity's sake, uh, when Chris refers to Sean there, that's actually the name of John Collins' agent, which you probably can understand by the context there, but there you go. Um, I think it's worth just pointing out, again, um, there's always some dynamics in play with, with regard to money. Uh, I'm sure Collins is not thrilled this is the, that this is not get done. He's not going to be a free agent at the end of the year. There's some pressure in season, dynamics in play about him you know, getting his numbers, all that stuff. You can hear... I wanted to play for you the context anyway, so you could just hear out of John's mouth how he was feeling again before the deadline, but that's some pretty instructive audio in my opinion. Uh, at any rate, the financial stuff that we've talked about a number of times, I'll rehash it now quickly. The Hawks will be um, qual- giving him a qualifying offer unless there's some crazy fallout. Once they do that, and by the way, the qualifying offer is either going to be $5.9 million or $7.7 million, depending on the, starter, on the starter criteria. So I'm expecting it to be the higher number there for John Collins. And the Hawks, again, will give that offer unless there's something that's beyond crazy that happens. Once they do that, he'll be restricted, and, he'll be, and he will count for $12.4 million as his cap hold against the salary cap. But with the Hawks projected to be over the cap now for next year after the salaries of Rondo and Vodanovich and Gallinari and even Chris Dunn, that is a little bit less of an impact. That's something I talked about a lot in the recent past is that I thought actually it made more sense in some ways financially to pay Collins now because the cap hold, his low cap hold from being a late first round pick didn't matter quite as much. But alas, they didn't do that. And that's the uh, logistics as, as it is now. Uh, as a reminder, the Hawks can't exceed the salary cap to sign Collins to any offer up to the max using his bird right. So there's no concern about the Hawks, um, at least from the cap perspective, matching any offer or giving him any offer that, you know, this is not making any any less likely that he'll, that he'll return. I know the, the NBA salary cap stuff is always um, complicated. I was getting a lot of questions about this stuff today. So the Hawks can't exceed the cap. They're probably going to have to exceed the cap to pay John Collins. That, that's not going to be a problem. The tax is another concern, but it probably won't be a problem until the following summer with Trey Young getting a massive extension. They'll probably kicking in at that point in time. But regardless, they can now match any offer, that any, any offer sheet that he gets on that deal. We can talk about a ton later on, and we probably will, about my, about what it might cost to sign John Collins or match on John Collins a year from now. That will be a lot dependent on how it goes this year and how he plays. Obviously, there's a lot of factors in play this time around. His path to numbers isn't quite as clear as it was before with Gallinari on board, with Capella on board, etc. I think the numbers that he'll still produce will be impressive. Also, it's worth noting that the, that the free agent class for next summer is now a lot weaker than it was supposed to be, with, with Giannis signing, Rudy Gobert signing, Paul George signing, etc., etc. Also, a lot of the restricted guys are off the board, with OG Ananobi doing extension, Derek White, John Isaac, etc., etc. Those guys signed extensions on Monday. So, the uh, the coast is pretty clear if Collins can play well to get a big-time offer, especially if he can come close to replicating what he did last year. He will get a lot of money and, w- and will be one of the better free agents on the market overall. So, that's worth pointing out, to be sure. Also, it'll be interesting to see how he responds on the court. And as we've been talking about for months now, how the new additions sort of impact things with his his production, his deployment, his playing time, etc. He's going to play a lot. I'm confident of that. But as people have been asking in the last couple of hours since the news broke as well, the Hawks could, again, I say could, not will or should, but could conceivably trade John Collins as well. I would not project that, but it's an option that they absolutely could consider and what we don't know right now is how much the Hawks are willing to pay, and that could change in the next few months anyway, but between now and the trade deadline, basically, Travis Schlenk and company need to do their due diligence to decide what they're willing to match on John Collins. Now, they'll have a lot of time now to evaluate that with the new team, but if they, if they take this into next summer with Collins, they need to be willing to match a nine-figure offer, in my view, to not trade Collins at the deadline, which I'm not advocating for, but the worst thing you can do if you're the Hawks is to let John Collins go for nothing. That's not what you want. Um, obviously, you know, at some point, if he, if he, if there's an offer sheet that just blows you away and you got to let a guy go, it happened with Tim Hardaway Jr., and I said it was the right move at the time, they should have traded him before that, but regardless, with Collins, this is a different level of player. He's the best guy that's hit for agency, at least in, in restricted for agency, for the Hawks in quite some time. Basically, going back to Josh Smith would be the last time. You know, other guys that have reached that level for the Hawks are like Dennis Schroeder and Tim Hardaway Jr., etc. Those guys are not as good as John Collins. So we'll see what they do there. Um, but by the deadline, they have to decide what they're willing to do because I'm assuming if Collins plays well, that he'll get a lot of money offered to him. The Hawks probably know that, and there is some risk uh, mitigation there, but. I will say it's an absolutely good problem, and I say good problem sort of hilariously, but if he plays great and now you got to pay him a lot of money, that's a good thing. You want him to play well, and if the Hawks want to match on, on, on any offer, they can certainly do that. So that's enough on this for now, I think. 
for me, I'm talking about it for so long. There's archive stuff. I've written stuff as well. None of this is uh, none, none of this is huge news. I know it's a big deal that the that the deal did not get done. But again, I'm not terribly surprised by this. I would say it's not a time to panic as well, or or be angry if you're a Hawks fan. Yes, it would have been nice for the team to get a bargain extension with John Collins, but I personally don't think that that was going to be in the cards ever, given what Collins was asking for. And again, if if he plays well, you can still keep him. There's no problem there. And my overarching um, approach to young guys and extensions on rookie rookie contracts is that unless they're an absolute no-brainer max, like next summer, Trey Young will be a no-brainer max most likely. But guys who are a little bit short of that, like Collins, I don't think he's a max guy right now. If he plays great this year and he has to get the max, that's totally fine if you're the Hawks. But a year in advance, my overall opinion that I've said a hundred times, but I'll say it again now, is that if you're the team on a rookie scale rookie scale extension, the only way, the only reason to do it is if you're getting getting a, getting a team friendly deal, which Collins did not seem willing to give to sort of give back to them. There was some pretty big money available today to some guys, so I'm sure the Hawks were not going to be in a great position to get a discount there. If you're a Hawks fan, you know. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. If you're a Collins fan as well, I think he's going to get plenty of money, so I wouldn't worry about that as well. I uh, I hope for his sake, as someone I, I like, I like dealing with John. I think John's a good guy. I hope he gets paid. I think he will if he plays well, and uh, all we all we all will be well at the end of the day. But there is a little bit less security now about the Hawks retaining him. One final reminder: the Hawks can match any offer, or they can give him a contract themselves. So they still have team control on John Collins. He cannot leave this this summer unless the Hawks allow him to leave. So. Keep that in mind. The relationship continues. He'll be on the team this year until he's not, and uh, we'll move on from there. But we'll see what happens. He'll be a free agent at the end of the year, and in all likelihood, he'll be, re- he'll be restricted. So we'll uh, follow that cycle from now until that point arrives. Okay, before we get to my conversation with Ben, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is betonline.ag. The NFL season is winding down, and the playoff picture is becoming much more clear by the day, and there's only one place that has you covered, and one place we trust for all of our handicapping needs on this podcast, and that is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the fantastic opening week and Christmas Day slates in the world of the NBA, there's a jam-packed slate of college basketball games almost every day, and college football is still in the center of the sporting landscape with bowl games and, of course, the upcoming playoff that's on the way very, very soon. And from there, Week 16 of the NFL season is coming this week, and there are some fun matchups to handicap from Vikings Saints to Colts Steelers, Rams Seahawks, and even Falcons Chiefs. Beyond that, there's a full menu of offerings from BetOnline on any sport you can think of. They even have player props, live wagering, futures, and exotic offerings. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action with BetOnline.ag today. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I'm joined now by Ben Ladner, frequent guest of the podcast, to discuss the Eastern Conference. And Ben, how are you on this final Monday evening? I'm doing well, hanging in there, as I've I think I've said every time I've been on this show since <laughs> March 11th. Um, so I'm doing as well as one can be uh, in this in this weird epoch that we're living in. That's a great way to put it. Uh, I will drop all pretenses this time around. Ben and I are doing a two part podcast. This is part one on the Eastern Conference, and then Ben will be back tomorrow to talk about the Hawks specifically. Uh, ben used to cover the Hawks. I will say used to. You still cover the Hawks because they're part of the league, but not not your beat anymore necessarily. So. Yes, yes. Not as Hawks-specific as it once was. Alas. Um, but our mission on this podcast is to talk about the East. Um, I'm not going to go through every single team. With all due respect, we're just not going to do that today. It'll be too long if we do. And Robbie Cowan and I did breeze through all the teams on our Over Under podcast, so the bottom we'll kind of ignore. But I do want to ask you at the top, who is the worst team in the East this year, in your opinion, because it's not the Hawks. We can we can safely say that for the first time in a couple of years. It's definitely not going to be the Hawks. Uh, but who's who's the worst team in the East, you think? Starting off with the main event here. Yeah, got to. I think it has to be the Knicks. I, I mean, I'm not going to go so far as to say they're a lock to have the worst record in the NBA, but I don't really see a super realistic scenario right now where they aren't the worst team in the East. And of course, you know, unforeseeable or unforeseen, scenarios unfold all the time in the NBA someone gets injured someone disappoints someone's worse than usual but it's hard for me to look at the the Eastern Conference right now and say that anyone but New York is the worst team they just don't have very much talent Um, the talent that they do have doesn't really fit with the other talent that they have and I am not super sold on Tom Thibodeau like raising this team's floor to be a fringe playoff team so I just I don't know. There, I look at Detroit, Charlotte, Chicago, Cleveland, 
And there are at least some pieces there that I like and, and like prominent pieces. I like Mitchell Robinson, but he's not going to carry your team. There are at least like sort of floor raisers on those other teams in the East, but New York to me just doesn't really have anything. And, and that's probably good for them at this point because they should continue getting high draft picks. They should continue keeping their cap space open and trying to set themselves up, collecting assets to make a big trade, whatever it is, like being bad is in their best interest right now. But boy, are they going to be bad this year again? <laughs> I hate that we agree, uh, but we, we do agree on this. I did not, I did not prompt you with that ahead of time. The Knicks are, I was, I was doing my power rankings for dime. I was getting right, getting those ready on Monday. I, uh, I have the Knicks at the bottom of the East. I think the Thunder might finish with a worse record than the Knicks if they blow it up. Um, because that their talent, the top guys are pretty good on the Thunder. We're not going to do the West today, but if they, for instance, like traded out Horford or like part of ways with some of their veterans, the bottom of the Thunder roster is pretty grim. Um, but the the Knicks yeah. are my uh, are my bottom team in the East. Uh, they're not going to be very good. I think the Pistons are the closest team to them, but the Pistons have Blake Griffin, and if Blake Griffin is alive and he looks kind of alive at this point, he's just so much better than anyone on the Knicks, which helps. It's not just that either. They, uh, you know, the, the Pistons had sort of a bad offseason in a lot of ways, but they do have a lot of NBA players on the team. So yeah, I also had Detroit second last in my standing in my projections here as well. Um, in that sort of Cleveland, Chicago, Charlotte group. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, not going in all of them. You mentioned, I think, Charlotte, yeah, Charlotte, Chicago, New York, Detroit, and Cleveland. Do you have a favorite of that bunch? Or, um, like, is there one of the teams that might surprise in your mind? Because I've heard some people that are really high on either the Hornets or the Bulls. Uh, and when I say really high, I mean, like, can make the play-in high, not not terribly yeah. high. But is, is there a favorite sort of dark horse of that group for you that can maybe get to the 10 seed? Yeah, you know, I've heard the Hornets buzz, no pun intended, and I just don't really get like I just don't see especially with Hayward injured now I like Gordon Hayward I think he's a really good player I like the way his game scales next to other good players but the problem is that the Hornets don't have very many good players and when you're looking at their playoff chances you know I think they made the right decision drafting LaMelo Ball but certainly a rookie point guard you can't really expect to help lift you into that conversation if he's the guy that's going to be starting if he's the guy that's going to have the ball in his hands as often as it seems like he will this season it's just not it's not likely that a rookie point guard is going to lead you to even that level of success. Now, that doesn't change the way I feel about him or or the Hornets long term for the worse, but like for the short term, signing Hayward is a short term move, but everything else they've done is more of a long term play. And so for that reason, I didn't love the Hayward contract either. And it feels like he might just kind of be wasted on this team. I would love to be surprised. Actually, no, I'll take that back. I wouldn't love to be surprised because I've gone on the record saying that I will eat a sock if oh, no. the Hornets make the playoffs. So I actually am actively rooting against the Hornets this year. Sorry, Hornets fans, but it's for my own gastrointestinal well-being. I, I am <laughs> rooting for the Hornets to miss the playoffs. And I also don't believe that they will be in that mix. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. You know, I'm a big fan of LaMelo Ball, um, but I think as a rookie, r- rookie point guards are not usually good. You know, John Morant was, was an outlier last season. I think he was more NBA ready than Lamelo. I think Lamelo was gonna be is gonna be really good in the future, but I can't imagine he's gonna be a great uh, player early on. Even Trey Young, like, was re- he really struggled early on? Oh I mean, yeah, he the wasn't first few ready months when he first came in. Yeah, I mean, and Trey Young was you know obviously a really good prospect as well, but th- that's a really good example actually of a guy who really had a very 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 good rookie season when you compare that to like the normal baseline, and was still pretty bad for the first two plus months. Um, so. And that's not just the mellow. Like the rest of the team is not that impressive. I'm not the biggest fan of either one of the other guards. Hayward helps them, but he's not going to be able to carry them. Their depth is not terribly impressive to me. So yeah, I don't want to see it with Charlotte. I-, I will say of that group, I like Chicago the most. I think Chicago is closer to like Orlando than the rest of them, which might be might be a hot take. Um, I guess it's a good bridge to ask you about this this middle tier. So the Hawks might be in it too, and we'll get more on your Hawks thoughts later on, but. Generally, there's kind of a group that's projected of Orlando, Washington, and Atlanta maybe in that group. And then sometimes you see one, one more team. For me, I think Chicago is maybe in that group. But do you like Orlando or Washington to be uh, better than the consensus? Or do you uh, kind of have them where I have them, which is 9 and 10? Yeah, to sort of go back to your question before this, I think Cleveland is probably the group or the team of that group, although I'm not 
super high on them. So obviously there, there is some Cavs buzz out there. I mean, it's kind of yeah. not not a ton, but there's a little bit of Cavs buzz right now. Yeah, and you know they have a guy in Kevin Love who's a really good offensive player. They have pieces that at least kind of make sense when you put them out on the floor. And when you're talking about just okay, who's going to be the best of this kind of morass of bad teams? That you know just kind of meeting that bare minimum requirement might be enough. As far as that next tier, um, I kind of see a pretty big gap between Cleveland. I have Cleveland and Orlando as my, what would it be, 10 and 11 teams. I I see a pretty big gap there. I don't necessarily think that any of those aforementioned teams are going to be in that middle group. Why do you hit the the Bulls, Ben? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, You know, (laughs) I I actually, maybe I should be higher on the Bulls. I do kind of like some of their pieces. I'm just not really sold on on any of them as 2021 NBA players, but they, they fooled me last year, which is why I, I'm doing it again with the bulls. Not, not as far as last year where I really bought in, but I, they're, they're going to do it to me again. I think. Yeah. I was out on the bulls last year, which I ended up kind of congratulations correct about. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do like Levine. I think Levine's a, maybe a, an underrated player at this point. I, I love Wendell Carter jr. He's another kind of Hayward type of guy who scales really well on good teams, but on a bad team, how much is he really helping you? But I kind of have Indiana, Atlanta, Washington, Orlando in their own group. Indiana maybe is is better than those other teams, but I don't really love their talent this year. And the Oladipo thing is such a question mark. They might be a little closer to like Philadelphia, Toronto, Brooklyn. Um, but really, Atlanta, Washington, and Orlando, those are the teams to me that are going to be duking it out for the eight seed. And I would be pretty surprised if anyone else gets in there. Again, it's not impossible. Crazy things happen all the time. But... I think those are probably the three teams. And really, Orlando is, is kind of a weak third there. I, I don't really – I mean, they're better than Cleveland, I think, pretty clearly. But I, I think there's actually a, a fairly significant difference between Atlanta and Washington and then Orlando below them just because they have comparative, – comparatively, they, they just don't have as much talent on that roster. Yeah, we agree on that, actually. I I do uh, – I, I don't want to go crazy because I do trust Steve Clifford and they – they overachieve, I think, annually based on their talent level. So I'm not trying to crap on the Magic too much, but I just don't see why they're supposed to be as good as teams like Atlanta or Washington. And it's not like Washington's overwhelming, but they do have a, they have more talent than Orlando does. I think Orlando yeah. is well coached. I think their defensive pedigree has been pretty decent. But it's important to note that Jonathan Isaac is out for the season. Like I know, he, I know he missed some time last year as well, but he's now gone for the season. They lost, and they lost Augustine as well. I know, I know, Fultz is probably a year better, but their talent is worse than it was last year, and they went thirty-three and forty last year. So, yeah, I don't really see it. That, yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm looking at too. Is is you you look at them and you say, okay, maybe they could be a competent team. They're going to beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. But how many teams are they really supposed to beat? You know, like so that's five. kind of the <laughs> right. It's the bottom of the East, the Thunder, maybe the Kings. But there aren't a lot of teams that they're like clearly better than and are just going to take care of business against these bad teams. They're kind of in that group themselves, or they're at least they're closer to that than being a rock solid playoff team. You know, I think the argument for them would ju- would be that that they're not going to beat themselves. Their floor is probably a little higher than a team like Washington, although even that may not be true because Washington has more talent. So I think defensively they're going to be good. They they're going to guard the ball really well. Um, even if they don't have an amazing rim protector. But like you said, Isaac is not there. And I think just missing that piece, it it kind of takes away that defensive ceiling a little bit. And then you look at their offense, and without without Augustine, who wasn't like an all-star or anything, but just was a competent point guard, you're now asking Fultz and a rookie in Cole Anthony to play pretty significant roles, which I'm not sure they're ready for. And so does that mean that there are going to be nights when you have zero minutes of quality point guard play? Probably. And and that's not really a great place to be if you're talking about an offense that aspires to be in the playoff mix. Yeah, we're on the same page there with Orlando. Um, before we get into the top seven, eight, nine, I do want to hear from our sponsors on today's podcast. So uh, let's talk about the folks at Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case. But also, the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic, and they continue to be so. But now, there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course, my personal favorite, in cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight 
weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now. And use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com. Promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. All right, Ben, uh, I want to ask you more specifically about Washington now, because Washington is the team that I have seen most routinely picked to finish ahead of the Hawks that is not in that top seven. So there's there's the definitive top six that everybody basically has. Then you have then you have Indiana kind of in their own tier for a lot of people, uh, and then maybe Atlanta. Uh, and then Washington is the other team that I, I've seen multiple people that I think are smart picking Washington to be better than Atlanta. I don't agree with that, but what do you think about that? Um, like, I know Washington has Westbrook now, for instance. Do you buy the Wizards? Yeah, well, I see the argument. And I think Washington and Atlanta are both pretty similar just in terms of their basic makeup. They're offensively slanted teams with pretty low defensive floors. But to me, I, I see the Hawks as having a higher offensive ceiling and maybe even a higher defensive floor. I mean, yeah, like it, that's that's saying a lot because the Hawks are probably going to be bad on defense but the Wizards were 30th in defense last year they were terrible yeah the the Hawks were bad too but the Wizards were worse and who did they add other than Robin Lopez that's really going to fix that problem and Lopez is good he's a serviceable big man he's going to help their defense no question um and he he was actually I thought underrated last year just because he came off the bench as part of that Milwaukee defense but I don't think that he's single-handedly lifting them out of the bottom seven on defense whereas I think for the Hawks, like there is a path into like the the teens defensively. It's not a likely one, but I just don't really see how Washington can get much higher than like 22nd in defense, maybe 20th. Um, and, and if they don't have, I mean, I love Bradley Beal. Westbrook is obviously one of the better kind of regular season floor raisers in the NBA offensively, but neither of them are as as potent an offensive catalyst as Trey Young, just in terms of their pick and roll facilitation their ability to bend the defense, uh, stretch opponents out, create looks for for, for teammates. Um, and then they also don't have kind of the secondary weapons like Bogdanovich, Gallinari, maybe even Kevin Herter, if you consider him on that level. Um, and they're, again, relying on on guys like Rui Hachimura, Denny Avdia, these young wings, as are the Hawks. But I would expect Atlanta's young wings to be a little bit more ready to contribute this year. And I just, I, I once you get kind of down that roster past the top three or so, I would include Bertans as a pretty reliable guy. But past that, I mean, there there just aren't a lot of guys where I feel like can you can you put together a five man unit with these with this Wizards team where you feel like okay, this is something I feel comfortable closing a game with. You know, I, I'm not sure about that. And and they're in that group where you know every team in this tier of the NBA has flaws, so it's not like. You're not expecting them to be like a perfect team or anything, but I think this team has a little bit more warts than maybe is being talked about um, because of the star power they have at the top, and they have two really good players at the top of their roster. But beyond that, I'm not sure how much they have uh, just in terms of offensive firepower, and certainly the defensive integrity could be a huge question mark. Yeah, I generally just think they're going to be terrible on defense, and that's not to say that they couldn't be better than last year because that, that bar is incredibly low. They were one of the worst defensive teams of all time last season. That, that's how bad they were. Uh, but Russ doesn't help that. I mean, there's this notion that Russ is a good defender, which is not the case anymore. Uh, I think Beal might be better this year because they're going to be more competitive, and he is capable of being better than he was last year defensively. But he's not a big plus either. And they don't they just don't have a lot of defensive talent for me. And offensively, there's a, the pieces are there for them to be pretty, pretty darn good on offense. But if you compare them to Atlanta, I don't want to go down the entire rabbit hole here, but I, I really don't understand why they would be picked to be better than the Hawks. The Hawks have more talent than the Wizards do. I just think it's not even particularly close. I guess I guess it's just as simple as people believing that one team has two stars and the other has one. But I just don't think that Westbrook is the guy that people think he is anymore, which I guess is probably the biggest reason why I'm not seeing it compared to some other people. But the Wizards' depth is not as good as the Hawks. And to your point about lineups, yeah, I have a hard time seeing how the Wizards can stop anybody with any lineup, whereas the Hawks have some bad defensive lineups on paper, but they have three or four guys who might be pretty good defenders this year. The Wizards don't really have any. 
I mean, maybe like Troy Brown or Robin Lopez in a backup center role, but that's kind of it. And those guys are not like their key pieces. Yeah, and you sort of touched on it there about Westbrook not being the guy that he used to be. I agree with you. I don't think he is nearly the same player that that he was when he was kind of at his peak. Now he had a stretch last year that maybe would cause you to believe otherwise. He's still good. It's not like he's not. It's not like he's not a good player. But and I I do think that not to cut you off, I think he's going to be able to look pretty good on offense on this team because you have spacing that he needs to function with like Thomas Bryant and Bertans on the court with you and Beal. But I just think right. that it might be overstated, just a, just a touch. I don't know. Yeah, and I think the the thinking for for kind of the Wizards optimists would be we've seen Russell Westbrook raise a team's floor and get them into the playoffs just by being that yeah. supercharged offensive catalyst, and we haven't seen that from Trey Young. Now I think at this moment I would trust Trey Young to do that more than I would trust Russell Westbrook. I think he is a better offensive player. I think he he raises your offensive floor more than Russell Westbrook does. But we haven't seen him do it. And so it's it's somewhat fair, I think, to say, well, you know, this guy's unproven, whereas we kind of know what the Wizards are at the top. We know what, what Westbrook and Beal are, what they can provide for your offense. So I, I get that line of thinking. I just don't agree with it. Um, and I agree. I think the Hawks are significantly more talented and significantly deeper, too. I mean, they can go, and I know we're going to talk about the Hawks more in depth later, but I mean, they just get to the, the question of, is there a five-man unit you trust? I think the Hawks have several units like that. And if there's a guy that doesn't have it one night, you just plug in someone else who who probably does. Um, and, and there's just more optionality there. And you can configure more lineups that make sense and that are going to be effective. You have more backup options when things aren't going well. So, again, the talent, the depth, the malleability, I think, is just better for Atlanta. And Washington, again, has a path to the playoffs. But I would handicap the Hawks as kind of the clear favorite of that group right now between Washington and Orlando. I agree. Um, and this, this is not something that I would recommend doing, but if you wanted to do like the lineup, the one verse one, two verse two, three verse three on, on the teams there between the Hawks and the Wizards, you could talk me into the Wizards, um, you know, their top two being better than the Hawks top two. Um, if you want to, whoever you want to say the order of that is, obviously it's uh, Trey for the Hawks and either Beal or Westbrook, probably Beal for me on the Wizards. But from three to whatever eight or eight or nine it's pretty clearly the hawks i mean bogdanovich is better than anyone on the wizards that's not one of those top two guys same for gallinari um if you want to say collins is two uh i think capella is better than anybody else on the wizards too i mean it's not it's not exactly a one versus one comparison but i think if you look at the depth uh the talent level there just swings to atlanta for me so it's not all about talent but it doesn't matter at the end of the day yeah and again i think it's also just the the depth and the adaptability that the hawks at least on offense, could have. And then, again, we have to see it, but I really like just their versatility on offense. I think they're going to be able to do a lot of different things, whereas the Wizards could have an effective offense with their kind of using their plan A, but what do they have beyond that plan A? It's not as clear to me. Agreed. All right, to the uh, to the top tier-ish. Oh, I guess I'll ask you before, as sort of a transition point, do you think Indiana is like a firm seven? Are they in their own tier for you almost? Because I'm, I've been on the record now. This is not spoiler. I have said that I think the Hawks can and probably will maybe finish ahead of the Pacers. I think the Pacers do have the pedigree advantage there. They have the baseline of being good recently, which definitely matters, but it's a new coach. And I don't love the talent level. I know you mentioned that earlier, but I'm I'm not a believer in the Pacers in general. So do, do you have them seven or is it? are they in that tier with the Hawks and Wizards for you? Yeah, they're with those other teams, but I, I gave them the benefit of the doubt because I think they've earned it, whereas these other teams are either much less talented in Orlando's case or much less proven yeah. in, Washington, in Washington and Atlanta's case. And I guess in Washington's case, less talented and less proven, um, although I still have them ahead of Orlando. But yeah, the Pacers, they have like four or five guys that we just know what they are. We know they're going to be good. We know what they're going to give you. Oladipo's kind of the wild card there, where if he comes back looking like himself— then, then that's great. And maybe they do move into that like Philly, Brooklyn, Toronto tier. But until then, I, I think they're just a solid playoff team or at least a solid kind of play in team. It, I don't know. You, you never know how the play in's going to shake out. <laughs> yeah. But like, um, I, I just trust Brogdon Sabonis. Like, there are a few more reliable do when you just kind of need to get a bucket at a given point in the game. There are not, there, there are not a lot of pairings in the NBA that are you know, more reliable, more rock solid than those two. Now, the rest of their roster, they again, they kind of lack that versatility 
offensively, I think. And there's questions to sort out between Sabonis and Turner. How do you fit those two guys together? And I also think for, there is some low-hanging fruit for Indiana offensively, where I think just changing their shot diet could improve what was already a decent offense last year. I mean, Indiana, actually, I shouldn't say that. They were 21st in offense last year. Um, <laughs> at, no, time, at, sorry. At, at times, though, I mean, especially, you know, when, when Warren had it going, they had some moments yeah. where they had... And I was, I was actually shots. looking at the wrong filter. It, it, I was looking at the 2021 preseason. So they, they were 17th in offense. Not great either. Um, but, but, but fine. Shooting more threes, getting to the rim more often, um, figuring out just how to use Sabonis and Turner better together. I think there are some things they can do that will clean up their offense and lift it maybe even to the, the top half of the league, top 13, uh, 14, although this is going to be a really kind of supercharged offensive year. But I do think they'll be more efficient on that end of the floor. They have good defensive talent. So they're just a more trustworthy team to me and had earned the benefit of the doubt. But I could see a scenario in which those teams below them leap them. I think Atlanta is probably the most likely. But if things go right for Washington, I could see them getting the seven seed. Um, Orlando is a little bit more of a stretch, but but I think certainly Atlanta and Washington have have the ability to kind of make that leap, even if I don't trust them to do it as much as I do Indiana. Yeah, I, you know the Pacers are they're sort of like my bugaboo team. I just I, I've never really seen it, and they always make me look silly. And I'm worried about that this year too. The injury stuff with Warren is kind of scary, um, and the new head coach. I mean, I'm not. I think Brooker might be pretty good. He has uh, people like him a lot, but. It's the, it's a variable that is changing, and McMillan, for all his playoff foibles, and he's now, of course, on the Hawks bench, um, was proven at getting the team to where it was, um, which is, there's a lot to be said for just being a pretty good team. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see on that. I think they're, for me anyway, they're not in the top six. It, it would surprise me, not shock me, because just something's, there's always something that weird happens. Like, one of those top six teams probably falls out of that top six somehow, because that's just what happens. That's uh, what I'm thinking, too. I just can't tell who it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, injury-wise, something, you know, somebody can go down, knock on wood and all that. But um, going into the season, I think Pacers 7-8 range is about where they should be. Um, okay, in the top six, do you have a least favorite? Because this is the thing I'm I'm having the most trouble with, honestly, is trying to figure out who is number two and who's number six out of this group. Like they're like, I think Milwaukee for me, spoiler alert is going to be number one still um, projection wise, but two through six, man, like I don't know what to do with the order of these teams. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, I think Boston is probably the team I trust the most there uh, followed by Toronto and Miami. I think they're just, you know, we, we know what they are. Brooklyn and Philadelphia. I have them at the bottom end of, of that top six, just because, they could be really good. I think on paper they look like they'll be really good, but we don't really know. And and there, I think scenarios where it goes bad for both of those teams. Whereas I think certainly Milwaukee and then Boston, Miami, and Toronto, a little more proven. I think a, a little a little more solid, not dealing with as many unknowns. Both Brooklyn and Philly have new head coaches. They have new talent, kind of that they have to integrate into those systems, which are going to be new as well because of the coaches. So there's just a lot of turnover with those teams um, and and not as much, I guess not as much certainty. Now the ceiling might be higher than maybe anyone in the conference. Like Brooklyn could have the highest ceiling in the East yep. because they have the maybe the best player in the East right now. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, when I look at kind of just regular season projections, I have Boston second right now, followed by Miami. And then Toronto is sort of, they're, they're kind of at the, in the middle of the pack for me where I, I don't see them as a super high ceiling team, but I also don't think they have a very low floor. I think they're, you know, they're they're a very kind of um, tight bracket as far as their potential outcomes. And then I, I guess if I had to pick a least favorite team, it would be Philly because we've just seen things go sideways in Philly before. Again, it's a lot of new people running the show over there, a lot of new players in the system. So maybe it's a, a different culture, different team, all of that, but. Just the the track record they have of underperforming expectations or just having things go wrong in some way, combined with the uncertainty, combined with the fact that we don't even know if Ben Simmons is going to be on the team, all of that. Like <laughs> now, if if Ben Simmons weren't on the team, I'd probably have Philly higher because they'd have James Harden. But yeah, that you know that aside, like they just have a lot more uncertainty than these other teams, and so I'm still fairly high on them. I, I still have them in that like 44 to to. 48 win range in an 82 game season but I think they're probably at the low end of that group just because I don't really know what they are 
I think I'm higher on Philly than you, just because I don't. Hey, by the way, they were so so profoundly weird last year. They went 31 and four at home and 12 and 26 on the road, which is like impossibly weird in the NBA. Um, you know, there's always a home road split of some sort, but man, that's wild. Um, but for all of the stuff about how things imploded last year for Philly, and it really did, they still went 43 and 30. Like that's like a 48, 49 win pace in an 82 game season. And it really did not go well at all last year. Now, granted, they were relatively healthy with the with their with their big two guys, and I'm not sure regular season wise their talent upgrades are huge. They just make more sense now as a roster with Seth Curry, with Danny Green, than what they had before with Al and um, and Richardson, all all that stuff. I don't know. I kind of buy Philly, but I'm with you. It's, it's not like they have a ton of certainty on that roster. Um, Brooklyn goes goes without saying, quite frankly, how volatile they are. I think projecting them to be a top two team in the East, which I've seen a lot, is just kind of reckless. I mean, it certainly could happen, but you need a lot of things to go right there. Uh, and for me, this is something I want to ask you, I guess. I don't really see the path to Brooklyn being any good on defense, like even average. No. They they have I, no defensive talent at all. I was I was just about to say that. I would I would expect them to be worse than the Hawks defensively. They might even be worse than the Wizards defensively. I mean, it could be, you look at the guys they've been starting in the preseason. If DeAndre Jordan is in that starting lineup, is there a single above average defender? No. In I that mean, group? honestly, on the whole roster, the only guys you would describe as potentially, and I, again, I stress potentially above average, you have Bruce Brown, who probably won't play a lot. He's their best perimeter defender. Uh, KD has been pretty good in the past, but he's coming off an Achilles injury. Um, he is long and smart, but who knows what you're going to get there. And maybe Jared Allen. And that's kind of it. Like, everybody else is either average at best or worse. Like, Joe Harris is fine, but he's not a great defender by any means. Kyrie's below average. Karras is below average. Dinwiddie's probably below average. I'm guessing KD will not be great off the Achilles. DeAndre Jordan's not very good at this point in his career. Like, Torian Prince is not a good defender, as we all know. So, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I guess the just the collection of talent and not turning the ball over a lot would help them not to t- take the ball out of the, out of the room for the other team. But, man... I have a hard time seeing. I w- I'm, not, I'm not sure if I go as far as to say worse than the Wizards because they're so bad, but they might be in that bottom tier defensively. It really might be bad. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if they were not in the bottom tier, to be honest, unless they just cobbled together the most brilliant defensive scheme of all time. They, and they, even ha- then, they have a trade to make or two as well, but yeah, that's the thing. Like part of this, part of that team that's so weird right now is that I think everyone expected. I know you and I talked about this at some point. People thought they were going to make a trade with either Lavert or Dinwiddie or maybe even both, and they just didn't do anything. And and I know why it was probably you know, it was, there was the Harden stuff that's still out there now, but they kind of stood pat, which they still have a lot of players that are good on this team, but no one can convince me that you would want Dinwiddie and Lavert as your two supporting perimeter players on this team. They they don't fit that well. They're both good players. They don't fit very well with Katie and Kyrie as like what you would want. And especially when you're asking them to do a lot on defense when you're asking them to be like supporting pillars as opposed to complementary pieces. Like I look at a guy like Joe Harris who in the right system with the right surrounding personnel is a fine defender. He's smart. He's going to be in the right place. He's not going to make mistakes. He's going to rotate all of that. But when you're asking him now to guard Paul George or whatever, like when you're asking him to be a primary defender against good players, he doesn't look quite as good. And when he's not, able to sort of play off of better defenders he doesn't look as good because his limitations are exposed a little bit more um, to say nothing of the other guys on the floor who are just straight up bad on defense so it's just a it's hard for me to see where the the defensive support comes from like you just went through the roster and I mean I kind of think they could be worse than Washington just because like who's good on that team now they could have the second best offense in the league maybe even the best offense in the league if things go right. So, I mean, th- that's going to be their their ticket. Just be unbelievable on offense and just run teams out of the gym and score a ton of points. But that's a little bit of a of a dangerous game, especially in the regular season when stability and, and having a system and a scheme that you can execute on a nightly basis are so important to winning regular season games. You know, they it's hard to flip the switch in the regular season the way you would in the playoffs, the way I think Brooklyn will in the playoffs. And because of that, I could see them losing a lot of games that they probably shouldn't, but just don't really have the cohesion or the stability or the defensive integrity to win. 
Yeah, I, I would believe anything with Brooklyn this year, quite frankly. Um, they have incredibly high upside. KD, if he's KD, is that good. Kyrie is really, really good. I've never been the biggest Kyrie guy in the world. But if he's playing, like even last year, Kyrie was pretty darn good before he got hurt. Um, they have really good players on this team. It's just that uh, regular season-wise, I don't love the way it all breaks down. They also have trades to make, etc. So they're, they're the wild card. Everybody knows that. Um, I don't want to keep going too, too long here, but... Do you have Milwaukee at the top like I do? I know, for me, I think they're worse at the regular season this year um, than they were previously, but they kind of built their team to be more playoff-focused than regular season-focused. Yeah, I do. I have them above Boston and Miami in that top. It's sort of the 1A tier. Um, I I actually think their off-season additions, I'm not sure, really raised their playoff ceiling. I I don't think Drew Holiday necessarily solves all of the issues that they needed solving. He helps with some of them, but I don't think he remedies that, any that's of a, them. That's, that's a great way to put it. He, he helps them, but he's not exactly what they needed necessarily. Right. So to me, I mean, they could just be kind of a similar version in the regular season of what they've been the last two years because they kind of swapped in a guy who's going to fit in with everything they do, who helps with everything they do, who's going to be a positive player in basically every facet of the game. But in the playoffs, they're still going to want for, I think, on-ball creation – they're still going to want for floor spacing. They're still going to want for defensive versatility. Like all of the things we've said about Milwaukee the last two years, I think are still going to be there. So again, I, I think it's going to be the same story with them. They're going to win a ton of games in the regular season, and it's not going to matter until we see them prove it in the playoffs, which they came close to doing in 2019, we should say. But the con- the, the the concerns there about Bud, about the flexibility of that roster, I think are real. The thing is, though, I'm struggling to find the team that's really going to make Milwaukee pay for that. Like, is it Boston? I think it could be. We saw Miami do it last year, but they're a little bit of a different team. Toronto, I don't know that they have the same upside in the playoffs. They had you know, a similar kind of on-ball creation um, absence last year in the playoffs, which kind of doomed them. Brooklyn could have some significant downside. You know, So, I mean, that's where a team like Philly, like even if they finish sixth, could be a real threat to come out of the East because I'm not sure who the the huge threat to Milwaukee is in like the second round or the conference finals or wherever it is that they really face that tough challenge. Yeah, I think Milwaukee is a little bit more susceptible to like one injury really hurting them. They're they're, they're not as deep as they were. I'll say that they yeah. definitely do not have the, the kind of depth on the second unit that you would love. Uh, I think their their best five is better than their best five was last year. Um, Drew is really good. Um, you know. I'm not the biggest Dante fan, but he, he can play. He's a, he's a solid player. Um, you know, DJ Augustine helps them in the regular season, but can he play in the playoffs? All that stuff. I still believe in Milwaukee as the best team in the regular season. In fact, I'd pick them to win the most games in the whole league, probably coming into the year, regular season wise. Um, That's what I've got right now too. Yeah. I just don't know if they're quite as like last year, I was very confident Milwaukee was going to be a juggernaut in the regular season this year. I'm confident, but a little bit less just because they don't have the same kind of depth. And, uh, you know, plug and play nature. Like if they, if they were to lose Giannis for a couple of weeks, I'm not sure that they can withstand that in the same way that they were before. I don't know. We'll see what. They yeah, do. no, I think that makes sense. So, who's the team to you? Like, let's let's fast forward to the playoffs and assume that Milwaukee's the one seed, and that the the top six kind of shakes out in some order with those five other five teams. Who's the team that you think is the biggest threat to Milwaukee in the playoffs or the regular yeah. season? Okay, in the playoffs. Um it's probably Boston, but I just don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bury the lead too much. I'm not a Miami believer. I kind of never have been. I know they maybe look silly in the playoffs, but that was kind of a magic in the bottle situation for me. Um, I'll say Boston, but I, I kind of hated Boston's off season too. Like, I'm not yeah. sure that I loved what they did. I mean, I know, I know, they, I know I didn't love what they, what they did, frankly, but they do have talent in a way. Like I think Tatum is good. And I trust their infrastructure, um, and they have some versatility. You know, Smart is a guy that's great. I, I don't know in the playoff series right now with no trades between now and then. I think I would probably go with Indiana, but honestly, you might just have to take Miami because of the matchup. Like that was obviously such, such a good matchup against them in the playoffs, and a lot of people saw it coming. I, I think we all we all kind of did. I just didn't think it was going to necessarily work out the way it did. But Miami kind of owns Milwaukee, so I mean, team versus team. I guess it could be Miami, but uh, overall, I would probably say Boston, but I don't love that. 
Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, there's. I think you could make the case for Boston, Miami, Toronto, Brooklyn, Philadelphia. I think Brooklyn's ceiling is the highest, for the record. Yeah, I do too. But but none of them are super persuasive. Like, I don't feel confident. Like, oh, this this team is clearly a better team in the playoffs than the Bucks. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's a team that I I really feel like is oh this is the threat. And even so Miami, think, even Miami's like Miami's in, worse right now than they were on paper. Like Miami losing yeah, Crowder is not. I agree something that just goes it's not a huge headliner but there's a lot of projection happening with Tyler Hero um which I I guess I understand he's pretty overrated at this at this moment in time but they got a ton out of Dragic at age 34 in the playoffs that probably isn't sustainable and they lost Jay Crowder and those two things are not small things and Jimmy is not getting any younger either like I think Jimmy's really good still but it's not like Jimmy's on the on the on the upswing they probably they needed Jimmy to be an absolute superstar in the playoffs, and he was able to do that. But can he do that all again? I, I don't know. We'll see. I totally agree. And I think for Boston, like, there's a chance that their two young wings don't make a huge stride forward. They'll still be really good players. But if you don't get that leap, how high is your ceiling in the playoffs? If you, you've lost um, Hayward, and if, if Walker's going to start the year injured, if that bothers him, you know, Toronto, they lost two key players in the front court. They already didn't have a ton of on ball creation. Brooklyn, we, we don't know. Philadelphia has, you know, I've been fooled too many times by them already. So you just kind of <laughs> go through it and it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It, you could look at it as sort of none of these teams are, are really strong enough to separate themselves. Or you could look at it as all of these teams are kind of on the same level and it could really shake out either way. Yeah. It's going to be very, very interesting. And I have uh, very little conviction, quite honestly, in the order of those six teams. I think Milwaukee number one and then the next five, your guess is as good as mine, quite frankly, in the regular season. Um, well, I was going to say your guess is as good as mine, so I don't, I don't really know. We all win. How good our guesses are. <laughs> this, that, uh, the, the, two basketball analysts just throwing up their uh, hands on this one is uh, what we're doing, basically. But I have to put them uh, in written form for dime on Tuesday, so I will have to make an order of some kind, and I'm still working on that right now as we speak. So we'll see. But I will have no conviction. If you're listening to this podcast. Do not read that piece because you will have you will have uh, you'll know how little conviction I actually have in uh, a in a post and power rankings that have to have conviction. That's the whole point of them, but not today. All right, Ben. Well, we'll wrap up part one now, I suppose. Unless you have any final thoughts on the East, um, we, we we could talk more later about this if, if you would like to. But please tell people where they, where they can find your work, and we will come back with part two shortly. Yeah, still doing a little bit of writing for the Step Back this season. Uh, hopefully, more as the season kind of ramps up, but. That that all kind of shows up on my Twitter page if you want to follow me at bladner underscore. I think that's my handle. I don't, I'm not actually 100% sure about that. Uh, but the other <laughs> place, probably the more consistent place to find any of my work is re- the Read and React podcast. Um, John Sauber and I host that usually two, three times a week where we kind of discuss what's going on in the NBA. Um, very similar to the discussion that you and I have had tonight. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can subscribe uh, anywhere you get podcasts, leave a rating review if you'd like. Email us, whatever you want to do. I don't know. Uh, it's it's your life. You can control what to do with it. But we, you have that option if if you would like it. Read and react. <laughs> I would encourage people to follow that podcast. I've been on it exactly once, and it was a great time. Uh, John grilled me appropriately, and it was great. So uh, subscribe, to that. That. subscribe to that podcast. Follow Ben on Twitter. Follow this podcast if you'd like to. Subscribe to this podcast. And we'll see you again with Ben Ladner tomorrow. So stay tuned.